he asked the question, is there a difference between God with us and God within us? Um, I actually think that uh, we could say, and I do say this actually in my book, I say that God is with us, God is within us. Um, and I think that that's a really deep wisdom from the Christian tradition, great saints, the Wesleyan tradition, the whole evangelical tradition talks about God living in your heart, you know. Uh, The Methodists used to get in trouble. There were satirical cartoons drawn about them in the 1740s where they were actually eating statues of Jesus and shoving them down into their bodies because uh, they would always say that God was within them. And uh, so, uh, so that is actually Christian theology. And I also think that we can say with, uh, within, and among. Uh, think about those prepositional phrases we use. Um, most of the prepositions that we have used in Christian theology is God above us or God beyond us. Uh, but there's a whole bunch of prepositions we can use that are really biblical and very legitimate and open the text up to us and the experience of God up to us in new ways. Uh, if I can maybe continue a conversation that we were having uh, just yesterday, I think part of the challenge that that you are facing is with all these writings and the the paradigm shift is that the language is still uh, inadequate, right? I mean, even yeah. um, as much as you try to describe a different kind of way of doing Christian theology, even the words themselves, and we'll do our best week to grab at those words, but we have to kind of even come up with a new terminology or a new language. Is that is that a fair assess- assessment of what we were talking about before? I mean, yeah. you, you mentioned Reinhold, uh, uh, Reinhold or Richard Niebuhr, um, Christ in culture, and is, is Christ above or in or around? And all of those, all of those words describe God as something still somewhere else that has to get here. Right. And that's why I like this language of with. It's a language of accompaniment. Mm -hmm. And I also do like the language of within because that's kind of a language of mysticism. And frankly, the thing that appealed to me the most about evangelicalism in the 1970s is that it was actually a very contemporary, back then, uh, version of mysticism. Um, it was not about doctrine. It was not about being right or wrong or believing in an errant Bible or being a member of the religious right or voting in a particular way or having particular opinions about subjects. What evangelicalism in the 1970s was about, it was about an encounter with a living God who transformed your life from inside out and lived with you in your heart all the time. And that was, to me, what was really appealing. And so years later, when I was in graduate school and in, and in a seminary, um, I discovered the mystical tradition of the Christian faith um, and uh, about contemplative prayer and people like Teresa of Avila and people like Hildegard of Bingen and John of the Cross and these beautiful, amazing voices that, that go there. And what's fascinating about the mystical tradition is that there are times when, they, when silence is the only word that they, ha- they have. Yeah. I love it. They don't actually have any words sometimes for their theology. I love it. Eric? Yeah. Um, the question is, uh, what, when you start adding new language, what, what old language do you take out? And what about the emotional and sort of theological process that that involves of giving up the old things? And that basically what I'm talking about here is a theological disruption. Um, I think that that is true. Um, and I think that where the disruption is coming from is I actually think the disruption is coming from the Holy Spirit. Um, so I don't think it's a disruption from people like me or, um, I have a, 
a friend whose books some of you probably read, um, Brian McLaren. He actually used to be my neighbor. Uh, we've known each other for a really long time. And he was in a more evangelical kind of non-denominational church, and I was in liberal Episcopal church, and we found each other, and we figured out we were writing the same stuff. And um, so anyway, he's a really good person. So you think about somebody like him as a theological disruptor, perhaps. Um, but I think uh, for myself and for Brian, one of the things we both say is, no, no, we are just literally sort of reporting the news. Um, the, the shift that is going on right now away from this vertical universe back here is just opening up our eyes and ears to hear new things and see new things. And um, in that sense, we're all sort of, I can't believe the places I go and I, I preach and people say, oh my gosh, I've been thinking that thing for 15 years and I never had the words to describe it. And so I think that this is coming up from the ground, as it were. Now, um, so that's, that's exciting to me. There's an organic process happening here that is spiritual and God, I believe that God is present in. But what happens to the old thing? Well, the old thing, my PhD is in church history. I love old things. And I don't have any problem with old things. Old things have a lot of wisdom in them. Um, Old things can be very beautiful. And I think that when a new thing is being born, one of the beautiful uh, practices that we human beings engage in is that we think about ways of connecting the new thing to the old thing. And so we know that new can't be completely new without some threads of connection to what has come before. And I'm okay with that. I think that's really good. But it doesn't necessarily have to be the same threads. And so... um, I love that Kevin has a copy of a book that I wrote called People's History of Christianity. It's the orange book. I hate orange. <laughs> but that's the cover they gave me. Uh, and, and that book is actually a retelling of church history from this perspective uh, without ever saying, oh, the old thing is stupid. And we don't have to do that. Because the old thing was beautiful, and it was our ancestors doing the best they could. And I think that we always have to give that historical credit to the people who went before. They did the best they could with the vision they had. And we can honor that, and we can take from it what was wise and important. And sometimes you have to trash it, though. Yeah, there are things you have to get rid of. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes, and that I think. Right, and, and those those things have to go. Another thing that's out of this worldview, and I said it right here, is that that God is white, and that God is a he, and built into that are traditions structured into this view of God is racism and sexism. And so somehow, somehow you have to say absolutely not to that, while at the same time, and the people and, and the and the ideas put forth that forwarded that, 
while at the same time recognizing that some of the people who put forward some of those ideas, like Martin Luther, might have had a very good idea about something else. And so what that takes is it takes a lot of historical kind of sensitivity and uh, wisdom to separate what is really bad and has to go into the trash heap of history, and there's plenty of that, from the, the beauties that they did see and the ways that we should remember and cherish uh, those tra- whatever is from that tradition that's good. And so, so it's, a, it's interesting work, and it's actually good work. It's really good work, but I, I sense the tension. Eric and I have these conversations all the time because it, it feels like um, there, is this beauty, there, there is this beauty in this history, and I would agree with you. But the problem, I think, for many of us is that we see so much of this dirt yeah. and so much right. of the, the dysfunction and so much of the power and so much of that expressed in, in modern uh, religious expression that it's hard, I think, for some of us to say there was anything beautiful back there. I think that's the, I think that's the tension. That's the challenge. Yeah. It, it comes too loaded with politics. It comes too loaded with racism. And we, we just had Dr. Randall Balmer you know, talk about the, the rise of the religious right uh, a couple weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, uh, I think the tension is, while it may be uh, true that there's beauty back there, uh, it, sometimes it's hard for us to see it because there's some of us that have actually been damaged by the church and what it has done, right. and we're like getting out of here. And I know that uh, some in our circles, um, they're here or they've had experiences. They can't go to that other church, and the reason why is because they're not accepted there right. because of this theology. So right. they, I mean, for for us, we're doing our best to say it's okay. You can, you're here. You're part mm-hmm. of our community. Let's figure this out together. But it still has that residual, like, oh, I can't believe that church did that to me, or I can't believe right. they said this, or I can't believe they taught this. So right. I think that's the tension. And I think that that, I mean, I, I feel that. Sure. Oh my gosh. There, I have had some of the worst experiences of my life in church buildings. Right. And the level of woundedness that goes along with that is extraordinary. Yeah. And so I, I am not diminishing that at all. Um, the other, the, but the piece is, is that I think that there is a capacity for a, a, a spacious spirit to be able to look over the whole of the Christian tradition and the whole, all the beauties of it. Because while all that stuff about racism was happening, we also get, say, for, for example, the development of the Quakers. And the Quakers were the people in the 18th century um, who were the first Europeans to stand up against slavery, the first Europeans to say that all people were completely equal under God, that everyone possessed the inner light within. And actually, it was the wife of the founder of the Quakers who wrote the first ever theological treatise um, in English. It was called Women's Speaking Justified. And it was the first ever argument for women ministers in the whole of Western theology. 18th century. Uh, in the 1700s. Wow. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, 1600s. Women Speaking Justified is, I think, 1688, wow. if, if memory serves me correctly. But I'm getting a little older, so I'd check on the date if I were you. But I think it was, it was 1688. Um, and so what you have, on one hand, is you have other Christians who are, who are using this God to enslave people and keep women away from the holy things. And then you have other Christians who even back then were saying, that's bad, that's wrong. And they were always this alternative voice. And one of the powerful things I think we can do now is we can go back, find those alternative voices and say, that was really where the real action was. 
And those people need to be moved front and center and say, this is the tradition that we believe in. And so I think it depends on what part of the tradition you're looking at. And um, I, I, that's why I actually love his, church history, is I find it very empowering, both in terms of knowing what not to do, but yet there are, there are heroes and heroic movements and surprising moments through the whole 2,000 years of things that we never would have thought possible other than the fact that God was empowering these people and embodying the life of God in the world. And so that to me is, is pretty exciting. I think what you said uh, dovetails perfectly with what Dr. Randall Balmer did actually a couple of weeks ago because he, he brought forth, uh, he brought to light some of that beautiful movement. Yeah. So, um, okay, I want to, yeah, we have so many questions. So listen, um, service is technically over. I want to be respectful of everybody's time. Please come forward. Um, and Kathy, actually, if, we, if you don't mind, can we just keep recording your conversations? Because I'd love to get, if, oh. if you're okay with that. Sure, so we'll if you want to take recording. a couple I would love more for minutes. You, I, would, I know we have some fantastic questions to continue. Um, buy her books, support her ministry, obviously, and then come say hello and continue to ask your questions because I think... Um, this is just, like I said, I think this is just so perfect for our place and our time and the questions that we're doing and, and all that stuff. Um, thank you so much You're for welcome. coming. Thank you. You're welcome. Have a great week. Come say hello. We'll see you guys next week back at X.